It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 174 for January 3rd, 2010. Recorded on January 2nd, 2010. Not before a live audience. Well, here it is, 2010, and the annual TechBiter Worldwide site redesign is complete. This year, the changes are mainly oh, evolutionary, not so much revolutionary, but there have been some changes. As usual, in this first program of the year, I'll take a quick look at what the changes are and tell you why I made them. First of all, on the website, the type is larger. You can still control it, though, with your browser. All of the current browsers allow users to increase or decrease the size of text on the screen. In most cases, you press control on the plus key to make everything larger, control on the minus key to make everything smaller, or control and the zero key to restore everything to the default size. Larger type is generally easier to read, and there's really no overwhelming reason not to use larger type. There's no printing press involved, no paper, so there is no additional cost to use larger text. Also, I increased the line spacing just a little bit, decreased the spacing between paragraphs slightly. Overall, I think you'll find it to be a little bit more readable than in the past. I've made some changes to the images that you'll see, too. When you click an image, images no longer exceed the size of the screen unless you're using a phone or maybe a 1985 computer to view the site. In the past, I provided some full-size images. Although this provides better detail, particularly when the subject is digital photography, those really large images are hard to view, and even with a fast connection, they take a long time to download. So compromising on 800 pixel maximum width seemed reasonable. In addition, the image no longer opens in a new window. Instead, it expands to cover the page. When you click it again, it shrinks back to where it was. This is a result of using jQuery, which I'll tell you about in a second. And the function should work the same on all current browsers. Hurrah, finally, <laughs> regardless of platform. Uh, jQuery. All right, I've been looking at jQuery for the past couple of years and decided to implement it this year because it provides some useful features that are compatible across all browsers. You can find more information about jQuery if you follow the link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. And if you do any website development work, I would encourage you to check it out. jQuery is sufficiently mature and stable that it is a very good addition to just about any site. This year, for the first time, I offer translations. Now, this is something I didn't need to even think about when Technology Corner was on WTVN Radio. The station's signal blankets Ohio covers parts of Indiana, Michigan, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Kentucky. Depending on the time of day, the station's signal can even be heard in far northern Canada, as well as in some of the Scandinavian countries. But that's a result of AM skip. So as impressive as that is, the coverage pales when compared to the Internet. TechBiter worldwide readers and listeners are now spread across the globe, not only from California to New York and North Dakota to Florida, but also from England to Belarus, from Norway to Australia, from New Zealand to Japan. Because of this, it seemed reasonable to provide a translation service. You'll find a translation option on every page created during or after January 2010. Thanks to Google Voice, you can now click a link at the bottom of the page, fill in your contact information, and Google Voice will call me. 
It will then ring your phone, and you can ask a question or make a comment about the program. If you're concerned about privacy, you'll want to know that Google Voice doesn't tell me what your phone number is. It also doesn't tell you what my phone number is. So, in addition to sending a question from the website, you can also phone one in. Last year, when I added a more formal opening and closing to the podcast instead of just starting and stopping, I added a bit of what I consider to be humor in the opening, the electrocution sound. And after nearly a year, I had decided that the humor was becoming a bit tired. When I asked for input from listeners, that opinion was confirmed. I dropped the zap sound on November 8, 2009. So those are the primary changes this year, and as always, your comments are welcome. The music landscape continues to change, and it's possible now to foresee a time when the people who make the music and the people who listen to music will be able to deal almost directly with each other. Increasingly, music is being provided online. Despite what the Recording Industry Association of America says, we're not all thieves, but we all do look for a bargain. An increasing number of players in online music distribution has made shopping for music a bit more difficult, but potentially less expensive. I'm still amazed that the RIAA didn't work with Napster back in the 1990s when Napster wanted to cut a deal with the recording industry to pay royalties. Instead of embracing a system that would distribute music without the need to produce, store, and ship a physical product, the RIAA adopted a punitive stance that hurt everybody involved. The RIAA managed to kill Napster, although the name actually returned later. But that briefly opened the door to services such as all of mp3.com, a nominally broadcast service in Russia that sold music worldwide without ever paying royalties to the artists. All of MP3 promised bulk downloads at a low price. The site operated under Russian broadcast law, and although apparently legal, it was a thorn for the recording industry. Successful lobbying resulted in a trade agreement by which Russian authorities forced the site to close a couple of years ago. Apple's iTunes became large enough and powerful enough to dictate some new pricing terms, for older selections, what would be considered the backlist, the price is $0.69. Cents. Most individual selections are priced at $0.99, cents, and the most recent selections sell for $1.29. And Apple's tracks no longer come with digital rights management or copy protection. Most CDs are priced in the $8 to $10 range. Apple lets you listen to 30 seconds worth of a selection. But iTunes isn't the only player. Walmart is in the business. Individual tracks cost $0.94 cents to $1.24. Despite Walmart's reputation as the low-price leader, these prices aren't particularly impressive. Walmart also allows you to listen to no more than 30 seconds worth of a track before buying it. Amazon.com takes an interesting loss-leader approach by offering several free collections and a bunch of 99 best-of collections for 8 to $10. Individual selections are typically priced at $0.89 cents or $0.99, cents, but complete CDs sometimes carry a bargain basement price of 6 to $10. You can preview selections on Amazon, which means about 30 seconds. To purchase any of the low-priced collections, you need to use the Amazon Downloader. So you might wonder if anybody allows you to listen to more than 30 seconds worth of a selection, and the answer is yes. Lala.com is an example. Lala allows you to listen to the entire selection, or an entire album, 
but just once. After that, you have to either buy the album or you have to buy a download. Lala prices many of its albums at $7.50. But you can also buy a web album, which gives you the right to play the album as many times as you want from the website. Web albums cost a dollar or two, and if you decide later you want the MP3 downloads, you pay the difference between the web album price and the download price. Individual tracks are usually priced at 89 cents. I recently found La La, and I'm concerned that it's going to cost me more than just a few dollars in the coming year. Emusic.com offers 45 free downloads to get you started, but I found the service wanting and didn't renew my subscription at the end of the first year. Depending on the plan you purchase, you are granted a certain number of downloads per month. Use them or lose them. That's the first strike. I forgot about my downloads one month and lost them. Emusic granted me replacement downloads as a one-time balm, When it was time to renew, though, I found that the plan I had enrolled in would no longer be offered and that the least expensive plan would double my monthly fee. It doubled the number of selections I'd get, too, but I didn't want that many. Your cost will be about 50 cents per track. Previews, as with most services, are limited to 30 seconds. Pandora. This is an interesting music site. It doesn't sell music. It's an Internet radio station that plays only the music you like. You define the artists you like, Pandora plays them. It also adds selections by artists with similar techniques and styles. Pandora is free, and you can create as many stations as you want. The free service includes visual and audio advertising. It seems fairly inobtrusive, and I haven't yet felt the need to pay $36 per year to eliminate it. If you encounter a CD you'd like to purchase, Pandora will redirect you to iTunes or Amazon. I found a site called mp3.com. It allows you to play a complete selection, but the site doesn't work very well, and it seems not to offer the opportunity to listen to an entire CD or to purchase one. I left after a few minutes of frustration. I said Napster is back, and it is. Same name, different service. Napster is now a Best Buy company, which may tell you everything you need to know. The offering isn't exactly clear. You appear to be able to download five files for $7 a month, or 15 files or 60 files per month for $5 a month? Well, clearly that's not right. Or maybe it's 60 files per year for $5 a month. I couldn't understand what the offering was, so I left. How about Kazaa.com? This is the operation that years ago, when downloading its download tool, also downloaded spyware and lots of other undesirable things. I tried to see if the situation had changed, and it certainly has. Every single selection I tried to play failed. End of story. There is Rhapsody.com. It allows you to listen to 25 selections per month for free. If you want to listen to more, Rhapsody to Go allows you to listen to music anytime and anywhere for $15 a month, or you can listen to music from a web browser for just $13 a month. So there's no shortage of options these days. Pandora, Lala, and Amazon seem to be the best choices for me. One of the other services may work better for you. And I mentioned all of mp3.com and its demise, but now there is another. MusicMP3.ru offers individual selections for $0.05 to $0.20 and an entire CD for 2 to $3.00. 
A notice in the legal info section of the site says, and I quote, All of the materials on musicmp3.ru site are available for distribution through the Internet Recording License LC3M0584 of the Russian Multimedia and Internet Society. Under the license terms, musicmp3.ru pays license fees for all the materials subject to the law of Russian Federation on copyright and related rights. All the materials are available solely for personal use and cannot be used for further distribution, resale, or broadcasting. MP3 file is a low-quality music record. If you like a particular album or song, we recommend you to buy the original CD record. End quote. Low quality? Well, the low quality in this case is 180 kilobytes per second or greater, sometimes VBR. By contrast, the TechBiter Worldwide podcast is recorded at 32 kilobytes per second. VBR refers to a variable bitrate, which is a method of recording sound that increases the bitrate for more complex passages and reduces the bitrate for less complex passages. The result is usually a better sound from a smaller file. So you may want to check out musicmp3.ru too. A little-known Microsoft Office application makes it possible to share documents automatically with coworkers, whether they're located in your office, across town, or on the other side of the planet. Although it works well with technology such as a Microsoft SharePoint server, no such server is required. All that's needed is the installation of an application called Groove on all the PCs that need to share information. Groove is little known in part because of its price, $230 when purchased as a standalone application, and in part because the only Microsoft Office suite that it's included with is Office 2007 Ultimate, which costs $680, or $540 for an upgrade from a previous version. This is the kind of application that many small businesses could use to great advantage, but one that most small business owners probably won't consider purchasing because of the cost. A company with 20 employees would be looking at $4,600 to add Groove. Yes, Microsoft does offer incentive pricing for multiple licenses, but the expense would still be considerable. Despite the advantages Groove would bring, most business owners probably won't believe the application will bring enough efficiencies to outweigh the cost. But they might be wrong about that. Sharing documents is a problem for most companies. Maybe you have a shared drive on a corporate server that's behind your firewall. Employees who are behind the firewall can get to the files easily, but collaborators from other firms probably can't. Or it may be that even your own employees can't get to those files when they're working from home. Or maybe you keep files on your computer, and when you need to share them, you just email a copy to somebody. What happens when several people make changes to the document? Have you ever used an old version of a file instead of the latest version because of this kind of sharing? Well, those are the kinds of problems that Groove attempts to solve and does a pretty good job of it. The files are distributed to all workstations involved, and when data moves from one Groove workstation to another, it is automatically encrypted, 196 bits, and the only way for another user to join a Groove workspace that you've established is for you to invite that person. Creating a new Groove workspace is easy. A standard workspace allows online discussions and enables other useful features, while a file-sharing account creates only the ability to synchronize files across workstations. Although any security system can be defeated, the safeguards used by Groove are sufficient to create confidence in the system. 
You might be concerned about excessive use of bandwidth, particularly if you're traveling and the Internet connection isn't particularly robust. Well, Groove helps here by transmitting only the changes you make to a document. Add one sentence to a 20-megabyte Word document that contains a lot of images, and just that one sentence, along with some instructions for importing it into the document, will be sent to the other Groove users. As the manager of the account, you have control over how the account is used. Other users can be given management privileges, standard user privileges, which is the default, or limited guest privileges. Sharing files from a SharePoint folder is a little more complicated. The user who is local to the SharePoint server has to check out the file. Groove then shares the file with all Groove users who are members of the workspace. When changes are made by any of the users, the changes are reported back to the user who checked out the SharePoint file. To complete the process, the user needs to check the file back in to SharePoint. To share files between several of your own computers, and this is a good use for me, Groove allows you to create a file that creates the same user on multiple machines, home office, notebook, for example. Files in your Groove workspace will automatically be shared and synchronized. Because every file is stored on every participant's computer, not on a centralized server, I think it's a good idea to create kind of a faux centralized server. If one of your computers remains on all the time, an office computer, for example, it could be the owner of the account. When changes are synchronized with that machine, the updates will be automatic to all of your other computers whenever you're connected to the Internet. Although it'll never compete with an Outlook calendar, Groove has its own built-in calendar function that can be used interactively by all online participants. There's also a chat option that is internal to Groove, or you can simply launch a Microsoft Communicator chat session, and from there you could share your desktop with other participants. There's even a chess game, although it seems to have at least one downside. Once you've added it to the interface, there's no way to get rid of it. So the bottom line on Groove, were it not for the price, Groove would easily earn a 4-cat rating, or maybe 5. You won't find an easier way to share files with others, regardless of their location. The only danger in trying the 30-day free trial of Groove is that you might decide at the end of the trial that you can't live without it. Three cats for Groove, and if you'd like more information, you can visit the Microsoft Groove website. You will find a link to that site from the TechBiter Worldwide site www.techbiter.com In short circuits, Nokia sued Apple, so Apple sued Nokia. Now Nokia is suing Apple again. In October, Nokia claimed that Apple stole its technology for the iPhone. Apple then accused Nokia of stealing its technology. Na 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 na. Now Nokia says that Apple is improperly using technologies covered by seven patents that cover technologies found in many Apple products. Nokia wants the U.S. International Trade Commission to block Apple from importing its products, many of which are made in China, into the United States. If the move is successful, Apple could be prohibited from selling iPhones, iPods, and Macintosh computers in the U.S. This could be serious. Apple is asking for an injunction against Nokia that would bar the Finnish company from selling its products in the U.S., well, it doesn't take a genius to see that the customers of both companies would be the real losers, but the corporations persist in these idiocies. Apple and Nokia are battling mainly over smartphone technologies. Apple has a hit with the iPhone, and Nokia has seen its sales drop because it has nothing like the iPhone. Instead of winning in the marketplace, Nokia's goal apparently is to win in the courtroom. The phone maker now claims that Apple has stolen a wide range of cell phone and computing technologies, 
the companies could bring an end to this nonsense by simply cross-licensing their various technologies. Of course, that would be too easy. The past week has featured a non-stop series of articles from the major media pundits with titles such as, That Was the Year That Was, or Ten Technologies That Touched Your Life in 2009, or The Ten Best iPhone Apps. There was one that really surprised me. Stupid Tech Tricks of 2009. Who cares? I have always detested these programs. When I worked in radio, I tried to avoid writing year-end retrospectives. And when they're on radio or television, I simply avoid them. The premise usually seems to be something like this. Let's see, we've got to fill an hour. We have, oh, 50 minutes of recorded sound. Nobody cared much about it when we ran it the first time. So we'll add 10 minutes of pithy dialogue and run it again. These kinds of programs are easy to write because all you have to do is copy and paste stuff you wrote before. But ultimately, they're meaningless. Retrospectives? Not now. Not here. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.